DW Africa Link. It's 5 p.m. in the studios of DW here in Bonn, Germany, and time for updates from Africa and beyond. This is Africa Link. Hello and welcome to the program with me, Isaac Mugadi. And I'm George Okachi Hati. Welcome to you listening to us through our partner stations and also on our Facebook page. DW Africa. You can also spot us on Spotify. Now, coming up on the program, Malawi has suspended the issuing of passports following a cyber attack on its immigration services computer network. Should African governments be concerned? I think what I can say is concern is one thing, but the biggest step is to make serious investments in technology at a high level. Um, what I see in most African countries, technology is a by-the-way kind of a conversation. And as this unfolds, visitors have started flocking Malawi after the waiver of visa for 79 countries in tourism push. The news of the free visa entry into Malawi, I think it'll make the process a lot easier for folks like myself. Stay tuned for more on that and coming up after the World News in brief. DW News. And I am Buba Jalo. Germany's parliament has rejected an opposition motion to deliver Taurus cruise missiles to Ukraine, despite pressure building on Berlin to step up its military support for Kyiv. Lawmakers have been calling for the German government to deliver the long-range Taurus missiles. The, re- the rejection in Parliament comes as politicians debate their next commitment on the 10-year anniversary of Russia's annexation of Crimea. Until now, the German government has blocked deliveries of the missiles on the grounds that they could be used to strike targets deep inside Russian territory. The issue of migration is taking centre stage in the United States in the run-up to November's presidential elections. This is as uh, the number of migrants arriving in the U.S. reached a record high at the end of last year. The political battle lines on border policies between Republicans and Democrats are well established in Washington. But volunteers like Sam and his son John, who are helping migrants cross the border, say they are losing hope that there is a political will to solve the problem on the ground. It leaves me very disappointed. It's quite frankly kind of absurd that uh, my family and uh, just a group of regular volunteers are filling in this role. It should be done by the U.S. government. There should be the Red Cross out here. There should be many different organizations, but they're just not here. One person is dead and at least seven more are wounded following an attack at a checkpoint in the Israeli-occupied West Bank. Police say Palestinian gunmen opened fire on motorists who were stuck in a traffic jam. Two of the attackers were killed, a third was wounded. You are listening to the Africa Link News on Germany's international broadcaster, DW. Albania's parliament has ratified a deal with Italy to build processing centers for migrants. The plan allows the Balkan country to hold thousands of asylum seekers picked up in international waters by Italy while their claims are being processed. And on to Nigeria, uh, into Nigeria next where to Lagos, the commercial capital, recently announced a ban on the use of styrofoam and other single-use plastics. The state government says the move was aimed at tackling decades of environmental pollution in the city, but many say they were taken by surprise. Now I'm losing more customers. So I'm using nylon to buy food, which is not proper. Even the nylon itself is dangerous for the health. So tell me, they should, they should, they should provide a narrative for us to, to be selling our business. Things are causing erosion and flooding in this Lagos land. 
is basically about this park. It blocks the gutters. And when people use, instead of them to dispose it, I mean, they don't dispose it. They just throw it everywhere they see. Burning it to me is not necessary. Although it's really blocking the canal, we can see it as well. But it's not necessary. It cannot work to me. And finally, in Spain, Spain has found former Barcelona footballer Dani Alves guilty of raping a woman in a nightclub. The sexual assault took place on December 31st, 2022. Alves has been sentenced to four and a half years in prison. The court also ordered the 40-year-old to pay his victim 150,000 euros. Alves can appeal the verdict. For more news, go to our webpage dw.com or Facebook DW Africa. My name is Boba Jalo. Buba Jalo, many thanks for that. And uh, to our listener, thank you for joining us. This is DW's Africa Link program with me, George Okachi. And once again, I'm Isaac Mugabe. Remember that you can be a part of this show by sending us your comments on our Facebook page, DW Africa. George and I will happily read them live here on air. We begin the program in Malawi, where President Lazarus Chakwera has instructed the country's immigration service to explore alternative solutions and resume passport printing within the next three weeks. Malawi has suspended the issuing of passports after falling victim to a cyber attack by unidentified digital mercenaries. Now, these digital mercenaries are now demanding a ransom from the government. And President Chakwera says the cyber attack amounts to serious national security breach and has pledged to take decisive actions to regain control of the situation. Now, the cyber attack in Malawi is not an isolated incident, Isaac, in recent Mm. times. uh, Guinea's main airport also recently reported a similar security breach. And to understand this trend, I've spoken to uh, Clarence Gama, the head of Malawi's ICT Association, and he starts with sharing his insights on the attack. When it comes to hacking, really, I don't think there are boundaries. I'm, I'm, I know even the NHS in the UK was hacked at some point. So I think Malawi is not the first uh, country to be hacked. Cyber attackers have gone to a very advanced level these days. You know, they are always working on these zero-day attacks, as we call them in technology, which simply mean they may have figured out a way to bypass the level of security that you had put in place yesterday. Clarence, you are admitting that it is a trend. Should African governments be therefore worried it is a deep uh, concern because, you see, um, when such incidents happen, um, you know, they speak of the level of technology and security that uh, we have in, in our systems in the country. Uh, this, this is a, you know, a wake-up call or it's also a, a check to say, uh, are, we, are we secure? Should we, do we need to upgrade our level of uh, protection that we have in our systems? And also... The rest of Africa needs to really look at investment. I think what I can say is concern is one thing, but the biggest step is to make serious investments in technology at a high level. Um, what I see in most African countries, technology is a by-the-way kind of a conversation. But our, my view is that technology should be accountable at the highest office to ensure that um, you know data, which everything is going digital now, we, we need to ensure that that has been reinforced accordingly. But are the governments adequately raising awareness about cyber attacks on crucial public services? Yeah, that's a good question. You see, um, and, and, and speaking from my technology background, because I'm also a tech practitioner, I think there's a, always obviously focus on protecting the systems, but cyber attackers usually get in using um, you know, uh, the people that are already within the system. So 
I think they should also be focused on uplifting system users and employees within these institutions on how them themselves, they can protect themselves from cyber attacks. Clarence, there are speculations that the cyber attack is an inside job after the government cancelled a passport printing deal with a tech company. What are your thoughts on this? There are indeed so many speculations, and uh, I think the best is to get it from the horse's mouth. From from what we've heard, it sounds like a ransomware where uh, the attacker usually says, give me, we've locked your access to your system, and we are demanding X amount of money. Usually, they ask you to pay in Bitcoin. History shows that paying the ransom does not always mean you have access. Um, but the immediate, or then, then the solution comes, the next step comes to see if you have any backups of your data. And uh, usually these are offline backups because when a ransomware hits, it hits all instances of your system. So if you have data somewhere in the o- offline, then the issue, then the next step is to engage the vendor to restore the system, or not restore perhaps, but to set up the system again. Uh, once you've set up the system again, then you take your data and you restore, and that's how you, you come back to operations. Doesn't this incident significantly erode public trust in the institution? I think the biggest risk is the exposure of personal information because, you see, they are, they are hosting uh, very sensitive data. And obviously, uh, from the pub- public perspective, it does give a doubt in terms of the level of security that immigration has. However, I think the, the biggest concern would be what is going to happen to Uh, the data uh, that these attackers have. Clarence Gamma, many thanks for that. He is the president of the ICT Association of Malawi, the umbrella body of all ICT professionals in that country. And we did ask on our Facebook page, do you think Malawi's government will be able to resolve the issue or should it seek help elsewhere? Charles Trich Nyere says they won't be able to fix it. The system, which is not entirely theirs, simply locked them. They need to comply with the owner to regain access. Mm. <laughs> Adechunji TJ, you're saying, are they really hackers or ICT collaborators who are retailing by hacking when denied payments? This happened to several African countries before. Well, well the thing is, George, at least I know we've done this story before and also on DW World News. It's not a case of Malawi alone or people owning the, the program, but rather hackers themselves, you know, or ransomware like you had Clarence say. Mm-hmm. You know, they hack into your system and then you have to pay them before they can, you know, let you in back into your system. Unless you put in place secure measures, then they can lock you out. And the ransom is really huge, man. We are talking about millions of dollars. And that's why Clarence has uh, emphasized that we need to now take these issues very seriously, and African governments for that matter. Now, still on Malawi, Isaac, mm. uh, the country has recently become a hotspot for travelers after government lifted visa requirements for visitors from 79 countries joining a growing number of African nations, I should say, Mm. adopting a visa-free policy. President Lazarus Chakwera says the decision aims to enhance tourism in the country. Well, to provide further insight, George, it should be said again that the U.S., Britain, France, China, Russia, and members of the Southern African Development Community, SADAC, are among those benefiting from this exemption. DW's Chimwe Padata with more details on the reactions from visitors and sector players two weeks after the announcement. Visitors like Yesania Fornes, a U.S. citizen, received the news weeks after arriving in Malawi. Fornes says there was noticeable ease during check-in, mentioning her initial struggles with online processes 
and the need for specific paperwork. Doing it online was a little tricky for me. It was asking me for certain paperwork that I didn't have. When I came in, they didn't ask me for any of that paperwork. Um, but it was a bit complicated because they needed the the funds and the currency there and I only had my debit card. The news of the free visa entry into Malawi, I think it'll make the process a lot easier for folks like myself. The decision to lift visa requirements is primarily geared towards unlocking the tourism sector's potential. Sydney Banna, a tourism expert, expressed how the previous stringent visa requirements hindered the country's growth. Now we need to promote our businesses. We just don't have to look at the money delivered, but we have also to, to look at what our offerings. You know, Lake Malawi is an attraction, a very huge attraction. But there should be activities that would make the tourists spend. Home to abandoned wildlife, including elephants, hippos and crocodiles, the landlocked nation is partially covered by the waters of Lake Malawi, Africa's third largest freshwater lake. Renowned for its crystal clear waters, sandy beaches, and diverse marine life, the lake is listed as a World Heritage Site by UN Culture Agency UNESCO. Currently contributing around 7.7% to Malawi's GDP, the tourism sector is the third largest source of foreign currency after tobacco and tea. Professor Gogan Jirechira, an economics professor at the University of Malawi, commends the move. Even though it's long overdue, it's good that we have started. Everything has got a beginning. Tourism Minister Vera Gamtugure sees the elimination of visa requirements for key source markets as a signal that Malawi is open for business. We needed to make a deliberate move to ensure that we are also attracting visitors to our country but also we are at least at par with our counterparts within the region. So we are benefiting now as an add-on destination. Now start putting Malawi part of the country to be visited. In this blueprint, the tourism industry plays a pivotal role in the urbanization pillar aiming to make Malawi an inclusive, wealthy and self-reliant nation. Isaac, that is our very own Chimumi Padata. And that, this mm. just uh, signifies that Africa is uh, becoming more and more free in terms of travel. They should have done that like yesterday. I mean, <laughs> I mean, these borders, people have been talking about them. Even Kenya itself saying we are opening the borders as of December 2023. We are mm. now in Feb and they're saying only some six countries, South Africa and uh, other countries are exempt from that money. So it's a story that keeps on coming back in different ways. But but tell me, how is it in Rwanda? Yeah, you can just stroll in <laughs> right now and then how many days and then that's it. Passport stamped and you stay. That's how it, it is. Anyway, tell us how it is in your country on our Facebook page, DW Africa. And it's a quarter past the hour in case you're just joining us. You're listening to the Africa Link show broadcast every week from Monday to Friday. I'm Isaac Mugabe. And Isaac Mugabe is with me, Jojo Kachi. We appreciate everyone following us on our Facebook page, DW Africa, and also on Spotify. Send us your feedback and we will be able to read them and the comments for that matter here live on air. Yes, I have some friends of mine who are sending me a message here on my phone, which I'm reading right now. They say 
they are following the show live and killer but unfortunately on privately on a VPN mm-hmm. so why don't you send that comment on our Facebook page so <laughs> George reads it from there <laughs> remember it is DW Africa D- DW Africa <laughs> <laughs> well this is what to expect in the next 15 minutes we'll be hearing how some Congolese artists it's a duo of two musicians George mm-hmm. who through their music are highlighting issues affecting their country that has been wrecked by civil unrest in the east in everything we observe, our real problems are tied to our leaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, had, this is a story you don't want to miss. Yes, but, and but exactly that music where yeah. it ends, uh-huh. it, it, it's in French, it's saying the people you know, are there to be served by the politicians. And mm-hmm. the politicians should listen to the concerns of the people, but it's coming up. Yeah, we are getting to that conversation shortly. But first, to internet restrictions imposed by the government in Conakry, Guinea, they are costing businesses billions of Guinean francs every month, Isaac. And many companies that depend on the internet for their daily transactions say they are planning to close down until it is properly restored. This would push thousands of Guineans into unemployment. Karim Kamara reports from the capital, Conakry. Some of the entities closing down due to financial challenges include businesses and road construction companies. Business owners say that since the government imposed restrictions on access to internet and social media platforms, their businesses are struggling. They are losing hundreds and thousands of euros every month. Isa Conte, an internet activist, says many companies have had to stop operating since they cannot conduct transactions online for the past two months. They are losing money on workers, salaries, rent and fuel, he says. It's a total paralysis and I would like to say further that the whole country which uses digital services is affected. We are used to the internet and can't do anything without it. Without email, I wonder how government offices are operating. The state has to review this particular problem. We never imagined that one day we would be leaders on how to use the virtual private network, or VPN. The Guinean government is not ready to back down and restore full internet despite calls to do so by Western diplomats, right groups and the Guinean Bar Association. Entrepreneur Joseph Tongino says his business is losing 2 billion Guinean francs monthly, the equivalent of around 200,000 euros. He has not had an income for the past two months. We are having a difficult time carrying out transactions. At the same time, the state is forcing us to pay taxes. I have over 100 workers on whom I am spending 200,000 euros a month. I will have to make many of my workers take leave until the internet is fully restored in the country. Another entrepreneur, Abraham So, the owner of a rural construction company, says his company is also losing billions of Guinean francs and some of its best workers. The internet restrictions in Guinea means that our business is no longer operating as it did before, and we are losing billions of Guinean francs monthly. We have been using the internet to reach our partners, but today nothing works, so we will be forced to close down the company. Regardless of the current upheavals in the country, the government is compelling us to pay taxes even though nothing works. 
TV advertisers and private internet suppliers have also reported losing billions of Guinean francs since their customers are no longer hiring them due to the internet restrictions. Recently, Western diplomats held a meeting with the Minister of Telecommunications, Usman Gawaljallo. They said access to the internet is a civil right and urged him to restore it. But the minister disagreed, saying the internet in Guinea is not a right. He added that no country has a right to dictate policies to the government. He accused broadcasters and certain Guinean citizens of using the internet to put the country's security at risk. Government spokesman Usman Gawal Jalo says the country is losing hundreds of millions of dollars due to internet fraudsters. He says until the situation normalizes, the restrictions will remain in place. However, following the dissolution of the government by the junta, Guineans are optimistic that there may be a solution to internet crisis in the country. Reporting for DW Radio, I am Karim Kamara in Conakry. Thank you so much, Karim Kamara, for that. As you had in that report, George, and I need your thoughts very briefly and quickly. You know, the minister said the internet is not a right. Isaac, that is uh, undebatable. You know, that is very limited space, and and, mm. and we can't even get into that. Yeah. Uh, well, well, for a minister of information saying that <laughs> a right to information the internet right to information is not a right at all because he says the junta believes some people are misusing it for to. <laughs> To to for, uh, it's creating insecurity for the country. However, why don't you take the debate for our listeners? You know, to tell us what they think on our Facebook page, DW Africa. Well, ahead of uh, you know the stiffly times in uh, mm. Guinea Conakry mm. and to Somalia now, where the cabinet and lawmakers have endorsed a major defense deal with Turkey, with Mogadishu locked in a dispute with the Disababa over a maritime agreement. It says threatens its sovereignty. Under the 10-year pact, close to ally, uh, close ally Turkey will help defend Somalia's long uh, coastline and also rebuild the naval forces. Well, President Hassan Sheikh Mohamud told reporters after joint session of parliament that the deal was about cooperation between Somalia and Turkey on maritime defense and economy. Eram Atipo has more. Under the deal announced Wednesday, Turkey will provide training and equipment to the Somali Navy so it can better safeguard its territorial waters from threats such as terrorism, piracy and foreign interference. Somalia's president, Hassan Sheikh Mohamud, stressed that the deal with Turkey is about Somalia's maritime safety. We tell the Somali people that the agreement we have tabled to Parliament today is solely about cooperation between Somalia and Turkey on maritime defense and economy. It is not in any way aimed at creating hatred or a feud with any country or government. The deal is aimed at deterring Ethiopia's efforts to secure access to the sea by way of the breakaway region of Somaliland. Under the deal announced, Turkey will provide training and equipment to the Somali Navy so it can better safeguard its territorial waters from threats such as terrorism, piracy and foreign interference. We've been looking for a country lately to engage a bilateral agreement with. 
to help us on this matter. Turkey became the first government ready for this agreement to assist us with maritime-related defense matters. We have been at war with terrorists to liberate our country, and today we will start engaging in another war to defend our maritime areas from the terrorists or those who have violated our lawful rights and the international rule of law, so that we live up to our international duty on this matter. In January, Ethiopia infuriated Somalia when it signed a maritime deal with the breakaway region of Somaliland that would give the landlocked country long-desired sea access. The document rattled Somalia, which said it's prepared to go to war over it because it considers Somaliland part of its territory. And for that reason, Somalia's Deputy Defense Minister Abdi Fatah Kassim explained that his country, Somalia, needs a partner in Turkey. The Ethiopian government has violated the sovereign integrity and the Union of Somalia by engaging in illegal agreements with parts of Somalia without legal basis. Therefore, the Somali president made efforts to convince Ethiopia to respect the Somali territorial independence and unity as a neighbor and retract its decision. With this pact, Turkey will protect the Somali coast from pirates, terrorists, anyone that violates our maritime borders like Ethiopia. NATO member Turkey has close relations with Somalia and is its leading economic partner, notably in the construction, education and health sectors, as well as in military cooperation. Somalia is also home to Turkey's largest overseas military base and training facility, which has already trained more than 5,000 members of the Somali security forces, according to Turkish media reports. Eram Atipo with that report. And of course, always share our stories with you. That's why we asked on our Facebook page how the agreement will impact the security situation of the region. To begin with, Bail Abdesan Nawal says, indeed, a defense agreement with Turkey is a positive development for Somalia, strengthening its maritime security. Foko Fotso, you're saying the sea is God's creation. It therefore belongs to no one. Even if a country claims ownership of the sea, let it uh, use God's wisdom to share it with others. And Abdullah Abdrahman Osman says, I think this agreement will significantly help Somalia's maritime security in tackling challenges such as terrorism, illegal fishing, waste disposal and foreign aggression. George, let's shift gears. Definitely, Isaac. And uh, Congolese hip-hop band MPR, known uh, now, rather not their native country, is potentially the richest on earth. But their massive nation seems constantly stuck in the first gear. A war in the East and corruption in the West have become the chorus of the MPR's music, or MPR as they call themselves, and struck a chord. Prince Latifa filed this report, which is now voiced by Fatou Moloshi. With its valuable natural resources, the Congo could be one of the world's richest nations. Armed rebel conflict plagues the eastern DRC seemingly without end. But even in peaceful regions, political instability, inflation and high youth unemployment are just some of the factors holding the great heart of Africa back. Factors its younger residents grapple with every day. 
In our country, nothing works normally. We are motorcyclists. Before, a liter of fuel was 1,600 francs or 2,000 francs. Then immediately, it got higher to 3,000 francs. We have power shortages. When you come from the university going to Cité Verte, that whole area in between has no electricity. Waste is another big issue in Kinshasa. It's enough to dampen any ordinary person's mood. But the hip-hop duo of MPR are not ordinary. The Kinshasa-based MPR is actually a music duo of Zozo Machine and Yuma Dash. Welcome to Kinshasa. Life here nowadays is somehow good and bad. So our name, MPR, means popular music of revolution. Their lively songs, inspired fast-moving rhythms, sukos and blistering guitar playing, have garnered millions of clicks on YouTube and social media since they burst onto the scene in 2016. And no dance floor remains empty when Zozo and Yuma start playing. In everything we observe, our real problems are tied to our leaders. We as musicians do our best to raise awareness. We realize that the power of our voices is what can awaken everyone and even reach our leaders. Reaching leaders is normally not done through songs, but through elections. Yet, listening to this young citizen, it seems little change is coming from that ballot box. Elections in developed countries deliver solutions to their challenges. But for us, an election is not a solution. It's almost as if the politicians are profiting from our suffering. You just vote someone and once elected, he plays against you. So because of that, I won't vote because nothing will change. This feeling of hopelessness is the subject of MPR's latest hit, Keba Ipoti. We catch them filming the music video. Zozo and Yuma sing of pain and frustration of fat cat politicians who care more for their pockets than their people. Their music stands to remind Congolese of their inherent worth and that it is the politicians failing them. Politicians failing them. I yes. like who says that. Yes, exactly. And we appreciate that report. And more of this report, you can go to our page, dw.com forward slash Africa, or even on our Facebook page, search for the video section. You will enjoy the visuals of it. And until next time, my name is Isaac Mugabe. And on behalf of the entire team, I am George Okachi. DW. Made for Minds.